Hi, and welcome to Captivated Audience, an anti-financial crime podcast. My name is Marie Lundberg, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Sam Sheen. Hi, Sam. How are you doing today? Oh, we're doing great. It's finally the summer. We've been double jabbed here at home. Things are feeling optimistic. Well, that is excellent. And speaking about excellent, we have Jane G joining us today. Hi, Jane. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you, Marie. I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, fin crime, one of my favorite subjects. Jane, could I ask you to please introduce yourself and give us a little bit on your background as well, please? Sure, sure. Um, my name's Jane G. Surname spelt J double E always causes a little difficulty for people. I am currently chair at Comply Global Limited. That company was formed five years ago now. It's designed to help AML regulated entities to prevent, help them prevent money laundering and terrorist financing. And it's got a range of products that, that enable it to do that. And I'll talk about those in a bit more detail in a few minutes. Thank you, Jane. We do know that you have a lot of other engagement and commitments as well. So could you please tell us a little bit about those? Sure. I'm, um, I'm also chair of Project Financial Crime at the Emerging Payments Association. So the association has about five or six different projects running, and those projects are designed to help the members. And in our case, obviously, we have a group of the members who are experts or very much involved in financial crime and we publish white papers and we give guidance to members on current issues and sometimes we write lobbying letters and things of that nature. So the other hat that I have on is that I'm also, third thing, helping Jess Wilkinson who is the founder of the Hilda Project and she is going to create a bank or a payment services company at least for women. Not that men won't be eligible to join that, but that's another exciting project. So I'm, I, I certainly have lots of uh, lots of work. <laughs> so Jane, let me just ask you: one of the activities you're involved with also involves the upcoming changes to our AML regulations in the UK. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes, yeah, sure. I, I can say that um, there was a treasury there is there is a treasury exercise which is reviewing the aml regulations which is a statutory obligation they have and actually they did have a very brief pre-consultation consultation which involved uk finance who brought in uh, the emerging payments association actually uk finance didn't submit anything on the topic to the treasury and I took it upon myself as chair of Project Financial Crime to write to the Treasury to urge them to engage more with regtech companies to make sure that they're aware of the technology which is available to help regulated entities, which is obviously something of a subject close to my heart. <laughs> Now, Jane, I remember you and I met, I think it's all the way back in 2016. It was one of the first innovation events the FCA hosted. Uh, I remember I was up on stage with Onfido talking about GDPR of all things way back when. But I remember being struck by the fact that you head up a reg tech and there are very few women who have headed up and helped to scale a reg tech. So if people haven't heard about Complete Global, tell us a little bit about what kind of reg tech it actually has created. Okay, well, the company in those five years has evolved considerably. We started out with a, an adverse information platform, which was designed in two ways to cover both watch lists globally 
and also sort of government published documents, etc. And at the same time, another product which covered adverse media. Um, we've evolved over the years and we've now got many products, some of which are a combination of other products, if I can put it like that. Our latest product is Comply Investigate, which is a combination of Comply Connect, which is where we've basically taken the company's house registry and recreated it, but in a searchable form, and Comply Risk Check, where we've overlaid company's house with um, risk factors, which experts have identified as being issues which are not in themselves necessarily an issue, but could be an indicator of fraud. I mean, in some cases, they are an issue, underage directors or directors who are over 100 years old or things of that nature. Trust me, there are such anomalies on the register today. In fact, there are over 2,500 underage directors still registered at Companies House. See, Jane, I think that is really fascinating. And we can see in other jurisdictions as well, having the same kind of issues and problems with the data within the register. So coming back to Companies House, the UK register in this case, we all know it and refer to it by its name. So they have recently published some interesting numbers as well, haven't they? Oh, yes, they have. Um, These are the numbers which uh, Martin Swain gave, he posted a blog about how many law enforcement queries they had had. So this was very interesting in itself. They had in 2015, they had 1,359 law enforcement um, investigations, which involved queries to them. In the year 2020 to 2021, they had 9,000. Um, So we've seen in those five years, a huge increase in that number. And, you know, that obviously means that there's more recognition all round of the value of the data. But, you know, this is going to be a bit of a silly question, Jane, but that's almost a ninefold increase. And since the information there is apparently so useful, albeit some very strange information, as you said, with underage directors, why haven't enforcement asked for information from Companies House in the past? I think that's an interesting question, Sam. And I suppose that I would say there's a whole variety of reasons for that. I think that law enforcement, the public and law enforcement, we've all been on a journey, haven't we, in the last few years. If you think about Panama Papers, Paradise Papers, FinCEN, leaks, all of those have, if you like, educated everyone about the use of limited companies or the abuse, I should say, of limited companies by criminals. And I think that law enforcement in the past perhaps didn't delve as uh, deeply into uh, making inquiries about limited companies that they were looking into. Now we know, because there are lots of articles, we're going to talk perhaps a little bit about Martin Woods and his articles, but also, you know, Graham Barrow and the Dark Money Files, he and Ray Blake have exposed a lot of these things which have gone on with limited companies. But Jane, in my experience, many moons ago as a regulator, I would work with FIUs or overseas law enforcement, and I'd be quite stunned that they didn't actually understand what a company is made up of or how a partnership might differ from a company. Do you think that's part of the problem that the company's house has lots of data, but if you don't know what you're looking at, it's just a squirrel gathering exercise? I do think that is the case. And 
of course, Companies House has lots of data. And actually, I, I can see the quote saying that, you know, it's valuable data, but actually some of it is not valuable data because it's just plain inaccurate. So let's not pretend. Um, and I, I do feel sorry for Companies House. I mean, it's been there for over 150 years and it's it's been a trusted source of data. But unfortunately, what we've come to realise is that you can't necessarily trust the data that, that's Companies House. So I think we this is all part of the journey. And I think that law enforcement have been on that journey. And if I'm honest with you, Sam, I think the expertise for investigators, they have now had to become much more skilled in understanding corporate entities, you know, partnerships and exactly what those entities mean and how individuals. I mean, corporate entities are fascinating, but they are, after all, people as well, because there are always people behind them. They are a legal entity in themselves, but we all know that um, it's the people behind them that we need to look at. But Jane, these squirrel exercises, gathering data, understanding the data, and the information registered in the company's house register, it should, in the perfect world, come with quality controls, even be validated. Is that what the raised criticism has been about? I think when you have to understand that Companies House didn't verify the data because they didn't have the power to do that. Um, so there hasn't been a lot of checking. I have to say that Companies House in recent years has instigated some checks and we need to be aware that they've started the process, but they don't have the legal power to see that through. And so when we come to looking at their their plans going forward, they're obviously going to there are a lot of proposals to change the way in which they operate and to carry out those checks. And at the same time, um, it's not just verifying the data. It will be requiring companies to do more as well in terms of how they supply the data. Jane, I don't think people understand that registries were not created for financial crime purposes. They are a commercial instrument of the state designed to support business development. They were never intended to generate data for the purposes of investigating financial crime. And as a result, this historical basis means they've never had the power to compel people to produce passports or verify identification or prove the fact they operate in particular jurisdiction. It was very much supporting the commercial enterprise of the economy more, more generally. It, and so this is a big twist, isn't it, Jane, for them? Oh, absolutely. Yes, Sam. I mean, we they like to position themselves and quite rightly as drivers you know if you look at their purpose their purpose is driving confidence in the UK economy and I, I think that's a great um, short statement but obviously in order to be able to do that with the they need these additional powers so they need to be able to check they need to verify the source of the information cross-check information um, challenge and uh, remove information which isn't um, accurate um, so they're going to have to have, in the end, these registers will be more efficient, effective and resilient, and they will be able to combat the misuse of corporate entities. I mean, we are entering a pretty exciting phase. Well, Jane, I agree with you. But this kind of shift from a commercial point of use to actually use the data and the information within the register for anti-financial crime purposes, wouldn't that require the use of technology? So how do you think the use of tech is being intertwined with this, Jane? 
I think that's very interesting, Marie. I mean, I think we all know and we're fairly cynical about government implementation of large technology projects. And this will be a very large technology project. Um, if you look at the business plan of Companies House, this is not only going to be a big technology change, it's also going to be a huge organisational change. So they're going to transform their services, their culture and the ways in which they work. So it's a huge shift. Technology obviously is going to underpin all that. I understand that there are there is an RFP out, at least one, for some technology help. They aren't going to try and do it all in-house, I'm pleased to tell you. They are going to buy in some technology. I am somewhat disappointed that they haven't contacted more, many more reg tech companies. And I think that that's a little area where the Treasury and the Home Office and Companies House, I mean, I just hope somebody listens to this preferably Martin Swain at Companies House, so that they can think to themselves, ah, yes, we're not necessarily going to get the best technology unless we go out more broadly into the market and talk to more people. Hmm. That seems to, unfortunately, be little of a trait when it comes down to government tech projects, at least in my opinion. I'm afraid that I think too often, um, Sam will know this, that the <laughs> they rely on entities like UK Finance, who are you know, a very uh, reputable organisation and very capable, but they don't have that many RegTech members. I mean, uh, RegTech isn't an area which can be regulated, so it doesn't come under the FCA. Um, even the FCA themselves, I mean, if you read Martin Woods, you'll see that he's uncovered more companies that should be on their watch lists. The FCA need better technology to be able to check on the companies that they're authorising and HMRC need better technology to analyse accounts. So there is a, a broader picture here where government is, particularly with COVID, beginning to realise that they need to step up to the plate with the technology. And that's what, what can help them and reduce their costs and make them more efficient. Interesting, isn't it, Marie, when they start to harness the technology, you know, people don't realize that the regulators or regulation bodies are using them, do they? Yeah, Sam, I think that you are unfortunately right on that point. It's a shame because, uh, you know, if, if more people were aware that if there's a, a common objective, which makes everybody more efficient um, and makes inquiries much more accurate, why, why not, you know, why not talk more about the technology we're using? And be, particularly because searches of company registers is really essential for regulators when they're assessing the fitness and propriety of people who are being Absolutely. put forward, right? Yes, but of course, Sam, just searching the register, um, even after these reforms are implemented, will not necessarily give you the information that you need. We, in financial crime, we all know that it's not the company that's making the application where there is fraud, it's very often in a company that's connected to that company or a director who's connected to the directors. And, you know, what we need to have is, is we need the public sector to start using AI and machine learning. And we need um, better regulation of those sorts of technology so that people feel confident in what is being done with the technology. At the moment, we're in a sort of transition phase where some people get it and some people understand there's always a little bit of a fear factor in relation to matters like identity 
I do feel that in the UK, we've become too obsessed with data protection and we need to recognise that we need to help law enforcement if we're ever going to catch or recover the proceeds of catch criminals or recover the proceeds of crime. And yet, Jane, we rely upon those data, that information within the company's house. So are we in a, like a catch-22 status here then? Yes, we are, because at this moment, there isn't uh, the company's house haven't made the reforms. We don't know when they're going to happen. I mean, this is why Comply Global as a company is offering such valuable services, because we are able to give tools to investigators which make the sorts of connections which they you know, should be making. Um, and that's so valuable. It, it saves such a lot of time and effort. So Jane, a few years ago, we were at the tech sprint and all the talk was around la- natural language processing and could it read transactions to see if there was a difference between the product and the company and what was going on. And I think we're many years off that in terms of reading registers. So really right now we have to rely on people just using good old common sense when it comes to accessing and understanding what's on a register. So, you know, if we go back to basics, what do you think are some of the things people do wrong or wrongly assume when they're searching the company's house database? Well, I think the fundamental assumption is that the information is accurate. That's the first problem. So verifying the data is sometimes pretty difficult. I suppose that if you if you look at the work that's been done to expose companies which are all registered, you know, there are addresses where there are over a thousand companies registered, in, in one case over three thousand companies registered, some of whom are perfectly legitimate, but a number of whom are not. And I I quite liked the analogy that Martin Woods was drawing recently when he said that money laundering is a bit like the virus, like COVID-19, in that you know you you have virus hotspots and you have an R rate. If you are onboarding a company which is at an address where there are a lot of companies registered, and I don't mean company formation agents because those would be excluded, for example, from our database. But if you look at that, you begin to realize that you know there are factors that you need to take into account. So it's not just about what's on the register. It's about the the implications behind what's on the register. So, you know, is that director, um, how many companies is he a director of? As we stand today, what people do wrongly is if you take, for example, our CTO's name is Timothy Edward Langley. When he filled in the forms to register at Companies House, sometimes he called himself Tim Langley. Sometimes he put his full name in. Unfortunately, Companies House will not recognise him, even though he as a person has the same date of birth as other. Tim Langley has the same date of birth as Timothy Edward Langley. So people don't realise how many directorships he actually has, because when they search Companies House, they, they won't bring back that information. And that's the sort of information that we have corrected. So Jane, that issue, in some jurisdiction, that is dealt with by using unique personal identification numbers or similar. Do you think that would be part of the way forward for the UK too? Yes. So the government published their big document back in 2019. And then last year, in September, they published 
the results of their consultation on the big reforms. And they're certainly going to verify the identity of directors and persons of significant control. So there will be an identity verification system, which I don't think they're going to have in-house. I think they are going to buy that in. I, I, I imagine that that's something they're looking at at the moment. And the consequences of that will be that when you register as a director, you won't become a director, incidentally, until Companies House lets you get through that gateway. So that's a new thing, because at the moment you can be a company's director and just tell Companies House that's going to be turned on its head. So it, it is interesting. We're going to see a lot of changes, but there will be a director identification, which will mean that every company that that person is a director of will be uh, visible to all those who search. The, the improvements will be amazing when they happen, Marie. Don't think any of us should hold our breath on that. I am going to ask one more question. So documents on Companies House. We are really lucky. Our Companies House has rich, rich historical data of returns, exemptions, appointments, you name it. Okay. A lot of these are stock template documents. We know that. The one thing they are not is certified. So we know under the 5AMLD that's been transposed by the UK for the most part, that you cannot just rely on the data on the register when you're conducting the KYC. You can't just go look at it and say, yep, it's there. It's the same as what the customer told us, we're good. How do we stop people making the front line go back and ask the customer for a bunch of certified documents as the verification process? In other words, are there any plans by Companies House in any way to say what's on the register is good? Uh, yes, Sam, essentially there is, because they're going to do away is pretty much with company, uh, with the registers that a company is obliged to keep, because the accurate information is going to be the information which is at company's house. Ooh. That is a huge change. Um, I, I mean, I can't, you, you must both remember that we had the big document with all the changes last September, and then we've had three further documents um, which are, are out for consultation, which in all cases finished in February this year. Those three documents uh, I, I have in front of me, they are implementing the ban on corporate directors, changing the powers of the registrar and improving the quality and value of financial information which is filed at Companies House. There's a major reform coming and we haven't yet seen that the proposals for what the changes to Companies House will be. I mean, they should be published soon. And, you know, to come back to your point, that these changes will mean that hopefully there will not be a need to go through that further verification process unless there is something in the verification at Companies House, which is defective or is seen as a loophole. And, and I can't at the moment tell you that that will be the case. Jane, anything else you would like to share with us? Yeah, all I would like to say is I do think that some of the blog posts from Companies House have been very interesting. That particular one we talked about earlier from um, Martin Swain, I think some of the things that they are proposing are really very significant and we should all look forward to the changes that, that are going to be made. I think that the company's house is going to be a great source of information in the future. And on that note, Jane, we do know nothing is as constant as change. 
absolutely right, Marie. Um, change, change for the better, and and this is this is great. We should all really look forward to the changes that are going to come. I'm sure they'll be very positive and very helpful to us all. So, from your mouth to whom's ear, the FCAs. <laughs> uh, well, I, I hope it's for the ears of of all of them, because of course the Treasury, the Home Office, Companies House, HMRC, and the ICO—they're all involved, Marie. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So thank you so much, Jane, for taking the time and joining us here on Captivated Audience today. It was an absolutely delight chatting with you. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thanks very much to both of you. And that brings us to the end of another Captivated Audience podcast. And if you would like to join Marie and myself, or if you have ideas for topics you'd love us to cover in the future, feel free to drop us a line directly on our Captivated Audience LinkedIn page, or you can also contact us directly on our dedicated website, captivatedaudience.eu, where we hope you're all having a very safe summer, that you've shown up for your vaccination appointments. And until the next time, please stay safe.